Brothers and sisters in Christ, let us now commit this time to God, even as we prepare to listen from the preaching of God's holy word. Let us pray. Sovereign Father, we want to commit this time to you. We ask, O God, that you cause us to be able to focus our mind, our heart, our very being, even as we listen to your word being expounded from, reflected on, and applied. We ask, O God, for your Holy Spirit to illumine our mind and hearts so that we not only grasp the truth of your word, the truth that not only surpasses all norms and cultures, but a truth that shows us your unchanging righteousness and plans, that shows us your very heart for the whole world through the gospel of God, your gospel. And so we pray, O oh God, that you prepare us right now, that our eyes will be opened, our ears will be opened, our hearts will be receptive. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This morning's sermon is taken from the Gospel reading, and uh, I will read it again. Having You've probably heard it already. But let me just read this passage again so we can flow straight into the sermon seamlessly. Okay? So... Verse 24 from the Gospel of Mark chapter 7, reading all the way to the end of the chapter. Mark 7, reading from verse 24, and I'm reading from the English Standard Version. And from there, he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, Let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and threw it to the dogs. But she answered him, Yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, For this statement, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. Verse 31, then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment. And they begged him to lay his hand on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears and after spitting touched his tongue, and looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. And his ears were open, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them to tell no one, 
But the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. This is the gospel of Christ. Praise to Christ our Lord. Now, in this morning's gospel reading, which is also the, from which the sermon uh, will derive its exposition, is a very important sermon because it not only shows us the fact that Jesus will heal and minister to those in dire need, but Jesus does so on his own terms and Jesus does so in light of God's plans. And Jesus' outreach, even though it prioritizes the Jews in that they have to hear that the gospel is now amongst them first, and we will explain why, and I will explain why later. Nevertheless, the impact of this good news will overflow to the Gentiles. It will overflow, and Jesus is not indifferent to their plight. Jesus reaches out to them, but also clarifying the purpose for Israel, for the Jews, to have the gospel preached to them first, for very good reason. And we will come to that now. Now, the background to this chapter is actually uh, very, very significant. There are just too many points. The gospel of Mark is one whereby each specific passage needs to be read in light of its entire preceding chapters. That's how significant it is. It is so intentional. Uh, particular words, particular places, all these, uh, especially even as early as Mark 7, we find that they have already been mentioned for a very specific reason. And even its literary context. For example, here in Mark chapter 7, before verse 24, we actually see in the context of chapter 7 itself that Jesus is now engaged with a confrontational discourse uh, with the Pharisees, with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem. You actually see that in chapter 7, verse 1. And Jesus actually painstakingly explains to them the principles of the kingdom of God, which were to be first expressed through the Jews as they come to realize that the advent of the kingdom of God is nigh. And yet, sadly, we see not only with these leaders of the Jewish people, religious leaders, but even with Jesus' own disciples, even with Jesus' own family, we find that there is a very disappointing reaction, even all the way up to chapter 7, in that these people who were supposed to be the first recipients of the gospel message, despite having seen all the signs that Jesus had performed in terms of miracles, deliverance, teaching with authority, they nevertheless were at best ignorant, but at worst, they were opposing Jesus. And it is at this juncture, by the end of verse 23 of chapter 7, that we see that the writer of the Gospel of Mark, uh, which tradition holds to be actually that of the Apostle Peter himself, he is the one that dictated to Mark to write it. We find that by the end of verse 23 of chapter 7, that Jesus now turns to Gentile territory, uh, almost uh, predominantly Gentile territory. 
In fact, the area that is mentioned now in verse 24, if you have your Bibles with you, yeah, the region of Tyre and Sidon was a location uh, that rose in infamy, especially amongst the likes of the Jews, because this is where their enemies came from. There is a long history of enmity within this area. And there is a history of how these people were well known for their pagan religion. Nevertheless, we see that Jesus enters now into Gentile territory for, for several possible reasons. Some say it is to leave, to get some respite from all of the public clamoring and imposing on Jesus because they saw what he had done and so they were imposing expectations, their own expectations which were not entirely in line with God's plan for Jesus and therefore Jesus sought some respite. There are some possibilities that say that if you look at the evidence of the chapter uh, with the likes of John the Baptist getting arrested uh, just, just earlier on, uh, before this chapter, we find therefore that um, Jesus could have actually been retreating to, jet, to more predominantly Gentile territory to, to avoid uh, scrutiny from Antipas, from Herod. So we're not too sure uh, exactly why he's there. But we know that him going into a predominantly Gentile territory actually is very unconventional for a Jewish rabbi, for a Jewish teacher. And we see this is explained, isn't it, in verse 24. He goes to this region, he enters a house, and he did not want. So this was the intent of entering this house in this predominantly Gentile area. Uh, it's by the coast, by the way. Yeah? Uh, so if the, the majority of Jesus' ministry until chapter 7 was primarily uh, in, in uh, surrounding the Galilean uh, Sea. Yeah, we actually can see that. Let me just... Let me just uh, highlights of the details, if the majority of Jesus' life and ministry took place uh, around the Sea of Galilee, predominantly in Capernaum, we see that now he goes further west to the coastal area of the region of Tyre and Sidon, uh, which is uh, modern-day Lebanon, Syria. He goes to this area, to this house, with the intent, it says in verse 24b, of not wanting anyone to know. And yet, he could not be hidden. Mark doesn't explain how this comes to be, but the fact is, people still know that he is there. People respond. In fact, one of that response is that of a desperate lady. In verse 25, it says, But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him, came and fell down at his feet. So this was a woman who heard that Jesus had come into this territory, territory unheard of, for such a, a, a so unconventional for this Jewish teacher to come in and they have heard so much about him, immediately she comes because of her great and desperate need and she fell down at his feet. And now in the Gospel of Mark, the writer actually intentionally clarifies who was this woman in this territory. This woman was not a Jew. You know, it's predominantly Gentile. It could have been a Jew. But here, this woman is taught us in this area, she is a Gentile, a Syro-Phoenician Bible. She's really from that area. She's not from the Jews who have moved up north to settle down. She's from that locality. And I already clarified to you uh, how uh, the Jews would not associate with them, especially concerning their pagan background, their, their unclean uh, status, especially in light of the Jewish law. But this woman, so gender, this Gentile, race, 
the Syrophoenician geographic factor, no longer from Jerusalem, no longer from Judean region, no longer Galilean region. These three aspects that would not be a welcome guest for many Jewish teachers or even people to minister to from the aspect of the Jews. This woman, despite these three aspects, is desperate and falls down at Jesus' feet. In verse 26, it says, she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. So Jesus now, despite probably wanting to seek some respite, is confronted like that of his disciples in the past. We see that the disciples are, are always uh, busy. Yeah? And we see that Jesus is confronted with this woman who comes to him in desperate need. And interestingly, we see Jesus' response. Well, for us who are reading it, if we do not know the context, we may just think this to be just outrightly rude, isn't it? Uh, after reading this, we still say you follow Jesus, your Lord, is such a rude man. This woman is in desperate need and she says this in verse 27. He said to her, let the children be fed first for it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Now, interestingly, many Bible commentators have observed that this is not a retort. Yeah? This is not just Jesus retorting and reacting. Uh, he's actually probably citing a well-known proverb, a parable, some even call it actually. A parable in the form of a sentence. Let the children be fed first, for it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Now, what is very interesting before we deal with this parable is that prior to verse 24, in verse 14 to 23, Jesus had just sparred with the Jewish religious teachers and says that there is nothing from outside that can make you unclean, but what is inside of you, if it's really unclean, it shows forth your heart. So Jesus already mentioned from, the, from that background that there's really nothing that you can say is unclean from outside that can actually make you dirty, in a sense, even from a religious perspective. So Jesus already has addressed that, that there is no superficiality in regard to ministry, in regard to understanding the kingdom of God. And here we see that we have to understand that factor that Jesus really is addressing this, that there is no one who can be made unclean because of what they have put in their body. And now we see here Jesus addresses someone who in the eyes of the strictest of law-observing Jews would consider this lady to be unclean, a pagan. And so Jesus, therefore, what he says in verse 27 needs to be understand, understood correctly in its regard, right context. So Jesus was not saying she's unclean. Jesus, even though she, even he, he uses this parable, which insinuates, which implies that this woman is not the same status as the, child, the children or the child. In this parable, nevertheless, communicates an important truth and we need to understand it properly. Jesus says, let the children be fed first. So he's not depriving her in her hour of desperate need of ministry. He's not. But interestingly, through this parable, he actually says there is a priority. Who are the children? 
in the context of Jesus' ministry thus far. This, the people of Israel. And so he's saying there's going to be a priority that my ministry thus far, as you have probably heard, you may have seen, or people may have told you what they've seen about me, that is not just a ministry for everyone without purpose. It is a specific demonstration first to the nation of Israel to teach them as well. Jesus' public ministry, make no mistake about this, Jesus' public ministry of healing always is accompanied with preaching. In fact, pre preaching takes precedence as he ministers to the Jews. That's why if you read from chapter 1 all the way to chapter 7, Jesus preaches many times in the synagogues to teach the nation of Israel, what it means when the kingdom of God is here with the advent of the Son of Man, the Messiah. So when Jesus says, let the children be fed first, interestingly, he's making it clear, even to this lady who's not from that of Israel, and she apparently understands, and we'll come back to, that, to her response very soon, but he's making it very clear to her that, hey, let the children be fed first, that my mission is not just to do good, there is an underlying mission under this expression of deliverance, of goodwill. And it comes with this mission mandate that the people of Israel need to be understanding of what it means when the good news must come to them first. Not only for them to enjoy, but for them to respond in faith that they would truly be that light, that witness to the rest of the neighboring countries around them as was intended since the time of the Old Testament. And secondly, this is what he says in this, in this parable. He says, let the children be fed first. So it doesn't mean that the rest of the nations are of no concern to him. Obviously not. We see that he does minister to this lady. He does minister to the deaf man later. He does minister to the Gentiles. He does. But there's something that he needs to clarify. First, the children of Israel need to understand why the Christ has come. And as I said, all the way so far until Mark chapter 7, and you see the frustrations building later on, most of the people of Israel, especially the religious leaders, his own family, his own disciples, they don't understand. They just expect him to be this political uh, revolutionary at best, or at worst, his family thinks he's a madman. That's about it. You can read it prior to chapter 7. What's the next thing? He goes on to say, For it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Now, the word dog here is, again, very harsh, isn't it? Uh, even for us, by those standards, huh, you, if you talk about uh, uh, Anjing Kurab, or a dog who is outside on the road, you say, how can you call someone a dog? And of course, if the scholars have noted that this word actually is that of a puppy. You know, so we actually should translate this, uh, let the children be fed first, or it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the puppies, you know, those who live in our house as pets. But even then, we are saying that, Jesus is saying that they are not the same as the children. And so for us, there is an element of offense, isn't it, naturally? And, and commentators are not trying to dismiss that, but Jesus has a very clear mission. He's saying, no. In God's eyes, the children of Israel will receive the gospel first. And through the only obedient son of Israel, Jesus Christ, all the world will be blessed. And interestingly, since this is called a parable by mining commentators, up to Mark chapter 7 thus far, all the people who have been hearing Jesus' parables don't understand the meaning of the parables. 
If you, if you have time, you read it. In fact, Jesus has to always explain his parables to his disciples separately after he shares those parables. But here, this woman gets the parable immediately. And this is her response. I'm going to unpack this. She says, she answered him in verse 28, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. She understands this lady, this woman, this Gentile from this pagan territory does something that none of the other disciples and the leaders and the crowds who were Jews, she does something that none of them are able to do in that she acknowledges, she understands what Jesus was trying to say. Now, we don't know if it's because of her own wisdom or it was revealed to her by God, but because of this response, and by the way, there's something very interesting here. This is the first time since chapter 1 whereby someone has addressed Jesus as Lord. None of the other disciples or Jesus' family, obviously, and none of the other leaders have addressed Jesus as Lord since chapter 1. When was it when it was first mentioned? In chapter 1, verse 2. A prophecy, sorry, in verse 3. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. No one has been mentioned to say this word, Lord, until now. This lady, and this continues to build on the theme throughout the Gospel of Mark, whereby the, the theme of irony comes out in that those who are closest to Jesus don't seem to understand Jesus, but those who are outside of the Jewish nation, those who were, who were considered outcasts, those who are not considered of learned status in terms of religion, they are the ones that are able to see Jesus clearly. And let's not forget, yeah, the Gospel of Mark is very clear. It's written in such a way that it is intended for non-Jewish readers. So why would the writer put this here to emphasize this? That not only does Jesus heal this lady, but Jesus heals this lady in the context of making known the primacy of the place of the Jews to first hear the gospel. But nevertheless, this woman, though not a Jew, is able, unlike all of these of Israel, to see Jesus for who he really is, to commit and obey unconditionally. And that's why she says to Jesus, yes, Lord, as, as Jesus quotes that parable, she agrees, yes. And yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs, meaning there is still something for us that you can still minister to us. Your hand is not tied just because you need to minister to the Jews first to show them their path, to show them their calling, to show how you fulfill their calling. But even as that is being done as a priority in this moment until the crucifixion, your hand is not too short to minister to us. This is the, the example, not only of perseverance, but the, the sense of the audacity that this woman knows that this is Jesus who is Lord, who can meet my desperate need. And because of this, we see Jesus' reaction in verse 29. He said to her, for this statement, that means Jesus commends her answer. She commands, he commends the way she accepts her place. And yet she says, you can still, you can still minister to me. Even though I am not a Jew, you can still save me. And Jesus says in verse 29, for this statement, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. 
and she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. This first half of the episode, you see, we've spent quite a lot of time already, but there's so much to unpack. The main takeaway from this first half of the episode is this, is that Jesus going into Gentile territory, seeking some respite, is confronted with the needs of non-Jews. And even though Jesus understands this, he also makes it clear that there is a purpose for him to wake up the Jews, the people of God, to the coming of the Messiah. And this woman in her dire need accepts the will of God, the mission of God, the plan of God, this salvation that comes through Jesus Christ. She accepts it. And she also says, nevertheless, your hand is not too short to minister to me in my need. And Jesus ministers to her. There's something to be said about the example of this lady and there's something to be said about God's plan. All the while, prior to chapter 7, the people have been trying to impose on Jesus what a Messiah should be. And all this while, Jesus was committed to teaching them, to making them understand their role of God's nation to receive the gospel so that they may be a light to all the other countries and peoples around them who are not Jews. But in the midst of that, we see the dire need of the Gentiles. And Jesus' hand is not too short. There is no either or in this regard. That's why Jesus says, let the children be fed first. And the lady answers, yes, that's true. And even the dogs under the table can eat the children's crumbs. That is the vastness of God's kingdom ministry. Even as we, for example, as pastors, as Bible teachers, as we teach the church so that they will go out and serve in the power of the gospel faithfully, that they are faithfully equipped. At the same time, we know that the kingdom of God is vast enough that we are able to reach out to the felt needs of people in desperate need, even as we equip the church. It's never an either or. And I think we, we hope we catch that in this passage. That is very important. That even as the people of Israel needed to understand their true calling to commit to it faithfully, nevertheless, the ministry of the gospel overflows even to those who are not of the church. And interestingly, God has a place for them. And so for us, even in our ministry of the gospel, we need to understand sometimes today, uh, we can go the other extreme, isn't it? We say, I don't need to really equip people in the church. I just do good and say, God bless you enough. No, no, the church needs to understand the mission of the gospel. We must preach that salvation only comes through Jesus Christ. You must live a life that's in, in line with the calling of, of, of yours as a Christian, as a child of God. But at the same time, with the dire needs surrounding the church, the hand of God is not too short. The hand of God is not not too short and that he's unable to minister to those outside in dire need. And interestingly, faith can come even to those who are outside the church, who have not yet gone through your baptism classes, who have not yet gone through your catechism, who have not yet gone through your church service, but they can be already someone who by grace of God, they recognize the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And as Jesus ministered to her, he will also now minister in another region a Gentile region to this deaf man. In this second part of Jesus' ministry to Gentile territory, to people who are not Jews, we see in verse 31 onwards that he returned from that region of Tyre, went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. So that's opposite Capernaum, southeast of Capernaum. 
and they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment, and they begged him to lay his hand on him. So you see, that is the imposition of the crowd. Interestingly, Jesus takes him aside from the crowd privately. And what does he do? I find this description of what he does to be really beautiful. It's almost ministry, a miracle by sign language. Because this man is, is deaf. He has a speech impediment. So what do you do? Interestingly, he takes him aside from the crowd. No need to say anything. He puts his fingers into his ears. Can you imagine that if you're doing sign language, he's putting it into his ears to say, I'm going to do something. Yeah, right now your ears are blocked. And after spitting, he touched his tongue. And it seems to gesture that something is going to happen to your tongue. You have a speech, but something's going to happen to your tongue. And of course, in, 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 in ancient times, there is this prevalent uh, understanding that certain forms of spittle were understood to have medicinal properties. Okay, so that's something very, very uh, unheard of in our day to day, something that we have obviously not researched at all. But here, Jesus actually does something beyond the actions of the day, even in terms of traditional medicinal uh, acts. He actually acts out what is going to happen to this man. He puts his fingers in his ears, he touches his tongue, and he looks up to heaven and sighs. Now, you don't need to hear a sigh to be able to know that someone is sighing sometimes, especially if you do it clearly, when you do it like that. And Jesus here was not sighing out of annoyance or frustration, but this sighing is that of sadness. Jesus does not just heal the Gentiles because people are desperate and they come to him and he has no choice. Jesus heals out of compassion. We've seen that throughout the Gospels, even at the very beginning in Mark chapter 1 when he cleanses a leper. The word is that he was angry at what was happening. His compassion was actually flavoured with anger, resentment and indignation. And here we see not only an emotional side to it, but a demonstrative side of his healing. And he invokes healing on this man by saying, Ephrathah, that is, be opened. Now it's very interesting that in the next sentence, especially in the Greek, eh, there's something very, very uh, provocative, this illustration that happens actually in regard to the tongue. Whilst we see in verse 35 that his ears were open, means no more, no more stuck. Yeah, the fingers, he can move out. He can hear. It says in the next sentence, his tongue was released. Now in the Greek, it actually literally is mentioned as the chain of his tongue is released. And that is a very, very powerful image because this was a man who is set free now, who was impeded, yeah, the word there, yeah, speech impediment, who was impeded, who was stopped, who was held down. But with Jesus' healing ministry in word and touch, his tongue, the chain of his tongue was released and he spoke plainly. The reaction is quite typical of the rest of the Gospel of Mark, even from before chapter 7, in that Jesus charged them to tell nobody. And this is the first time he's telling Gentiles not to tell anyone about it because previously he was telling all the Jews, they don't tell anyone about it, just be restored to your temple, be restored to your place of worship, participate with everyone else and rejoice of what God has done for you. But here, this is the first time that Jesus tells Gentiles as well. 
And, and if you read the rest of the book of Mark, you can understand why. Because the, everyone wants to impose their own expectations of Jesus. But as we have seen in the first part of this sermon in Jesus' ministry to the Syrophoenician woman, he has a specific mission. And that's why he teaches the Jews first so that they need to understand who the Messiah is and what he's supposed to do. But here we see Jesus also tells them, don't tell anyone. Yeah, probably it's those who were with the man who was deaf and had a speech impediment. But we see that it was too wonderful for them to contain. The more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying he has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Now this phrase, making the deaf hear and the mute speak, is very messianic. That means it is highly illustrative of what the Jews believe from the Old Testament prophecies that the Messiah would do when he came. When the Christ came, he would make the deaf hear and the mute speak. What are we to take away from these two highly illustrative and provocative uh, events of Jesus' ministry to non-Jews? Well, I want to add, I want to just summarize it very quickly. Firstly, that Jesus' ministry is always in line with the will of God the Father. Not our expectations, not our impositions, not even our desperate need. It is all in light of the will of God the Father who knows all, who knows what is best, who loves Israel, who loves the world. And the mission of the gospel was first to be for the Jews as God's chosen people so that they may shine the light of God, the truth of God, the mission of God in the Christ to all nations. And that's why there is always the priority of Israel because Israel has always been part of this covenant mission of God since the time of Abraham. And we know that Jesus is that only one child of Israel, the only obedient son of Israel who actually lives up to this calling of being this light. So firstly, we need to understand that as great as the needs of this world is, as great as our needs are, we need to be like this woman, this Syrophoenician woman, who know our place. That means that we yield to God's plan. It's not that God didn't minister to her. God did through Jesus. But it is first letting her know it is on my terms. It is on my plans. And Syrophoenician exemplifies that posture of yielding, of trust, of acknowledgement, and yet boldness to say to God, your hand is not too short to minister even to me. So that's the first thing we need to understand, even in our walk with God today. In Christ, we are all one, isn't it? We're all the same. There's neither Jew nor Greek, isn't it? There's neither slave or free, neither man nor woman in that regard. We're all the same in Christ. And nevertheless, we are all the same as servants of God. In that God's work is something that cannot be questioned. Sometimes we can allow all the needs of the world to hijack what the church is supposed to be doing. I've seen that time and time again in different, different churches. It's with good intent. We say, oh, these are the needs around us. So we do, 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 but we don't, we don't preach the gospel anymore. We just, tell, we just respond to what people's needs are. They'll tell us, don't preach to us, don't pray for us. Then we say, okay, okay, we just show you love. 
That is precisely what Jesus came to counter with the Jews because they were imposing their own agenda of a political leader. But Jesus came to save them from their sins. Jesus came to prepare them to be spokesmen of this forgiveness of sins for the rest of the world. The church would do well, you as individual Christians would do well to know our place. It's people who have been set free to serve in the specific mission and plan of God. Don't hijack his plan. Be faithful to his plan. With all the needs that are coming to you, always ask God, always pray. What does your word say in regard to this need in light of the gospel message? Secondly, we see also that the ministry of Jesus to this deaf man is highly provocative because there is an element of compassion through touch. There is an element of ministering to someone who would not be able to hear. Have you ever been exposed to that kind of ministry whereby using words alone is not able to communicate the love of God because that person cannot literally cannot hear you, is, is clinically deaf, or the person cannot see? Well, Jesus ministry not only knows no limits in that it goes beyond Jewish territory to the Gentiles. Jesus' ministry with compassion knows no limits even in regard to our physical limitations. If Jesus can minister to this deaf man with his physical impediments, Jesus can minister through all of our deficiencies. There's nothing that is beyond his reach. That is the point of these two passages. There is no one beyond his reach. There is nothing that can come in his way of ministry to you. So you cannot say that, oh, because I'm not a good person or I'm from this race or I'm from this background, this status, Jesus won't love me. No, he will cut through it and he will reach out to you. You may say, oh, some people, they cannot see, they cannot hear. They, they, their mind is not, in, not, they're not, they're not sane. They may not understand. Jesus can reach out to their very being. That's why the ministry of the church in the gospel is so wonderful because there is nothing that can stop us. There is no way that is too difficult for us to present the gospel on the condition that we are obedient and discerning as to how God wants to use your church. So my prayer for you, not only for our local parish, but even for you as individuals, is that we recognize this. In the world of such desperation of need for help, for salvation, for deliverance of all kinds of, of, of matters, Jesus is the answer to it all. And Jesus can minister to them all through whatever ways, through whatever means, through speech, through healing, through touch, through prayer, through the spiritual realm, he can do it all. The question is, do we have faith? question is, will we surrender to the priority of his will? Or will we, in our actions, say, say like, yeah, yeah, that's very nice, the gospel message and all, too idealistic. Let's just meet felt needs first. No, the gospel message is integrated into meeting felt needs on God's terms. So may you always have the gospel message in whatever you do. Ask God for the creativity and the wisdom how to put it forward, especially in difficult times with people who may not be able to understand through just communication or speech. So may God bless the reflection on God's word. 
May you hopefully, with the help of the Holy Spirit, be convicted to know your place as God's beloved child, empowered, enabled to be innovative, to be creative, but above all, to be obedient to the call of Jesus' mission as he himself was obedient to the mission of the Father. Let us pray. Father, we just ask, oh God, that you help us to recognize that you are indeed able. There's nothing too difficult for you. There's nothing too out of your reach. Even in your specific plan through your church, there is no one in this world who is out of your reach. And so, Father, we want to recognize that and worship you. Uh, even through this simple hymn. He's able, he's able. I know he's able, I know my God is able to carry me through. He's able, he's able, I know he's able, I know my God is able to carry me through. He heals the brokenhearted and sets the captives free. He makes the lame walk again and causes the blind to see. He's able, he's able, I know he's able. I know my God is able to carry me through. One more time. He heals the brokenhearted and sets the captives free. He makes the lame walk again and causes the blind to see. He's able, he's able. I know he's able, I know my God is able to carry me through. I know my God is able to carry us through. We know our God is able to carry us through. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.